0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you as we continue our series, our reboot series. Today we're talking about building faith. Uh, and the, the loud one was my son who was leaving the sanctuary uh, just, just a moment ago. He takes after his mother. Um, that's a joke. Uh, our scripture lesson today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching. Several years ago, I was brand new out of ministry, something like my second or third year out of ministry. I offered what I lovingly call the sermon that will never die. Uh, it is, um, it is, it is my Lord Voldemort of sermons. It is the sermon that shall not be named. It is in my file, and we don't talk about it. It was, uh, it was a divisive sermon uh, in the congregation. Uh, and after the service, I had two folks come up to me uh, after the, the worship service. One of them said, "I want to join your church." This is exactly what I needed to hear today. And the other person yelled at me and said that they would never come back to church. You know, so I just kind of sat there and said ah, Methodism. Like, there we are, you know. Uh, but I bring this up because one of my sermon, my seminary professors, I was telling him this story of uh, of, of the sermon that shall not be named. And he goes, I'd, I'd love to see a copy of it. You know, so I sent him a copy of the sermon. Uh, and after reading it, he goes, would you mind if I used this in my seminary class uh, this this fall? He was like, well, <laughs> of course not. I wouldn't mind you uh, using my, and I said, but but how will you be using it? He goes, oh, I'm using it as a guide of how not to preach. <laughs> yeah, uh. yeah so because, because what I failed to mention is that, you know, I gave this divisive sermon on Mother's Day, right? So it wasn't the time, like, no one, it's Mother's Day. No one is in the mood, right, for this kind con- you know. Had I seen a, a television program like Ted Lasso Prior to that sermon, I might have learned a new skill of how to deliver something that everyone uh, could, uh, could uh, that was palatable to everyone. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Have you seen the show? Anyone? No, it's on Apple TV. Uh, it's fantastic. Now, it's not for the kids, so don't like have family movie night and pop popcorn because the preacher mentioned Ted Lasso in church. Not for the kids, but it is a fantastic show. Uh, long story short, <clears throat> it starts off with, with Ted, who is, who is a college football coach and he is hired to coach a soccer team in England, or as what Reverend Tim Barnes would say, like real football, if Tim was here, right? Real football, uh, English football that we call soccer, you know, that good like 12th ranked sport in the United States. So he, he's hired, he's a college coach and he's hired uh, to coach soccer, but he's hired in order to destroy the team. He's almost hired as a joke. Ted Lasso doesn't know that he was hired as a joke. Uh, but the, the owner of the team uh, wants to kind of destroy the team by hiring to, but jokes on her through the first season. He's kind of this like godsend to, to this team. And it, he's lovely. He teaches leadership and he teaches them to have faith And he's, he's building this faith and building this trust of this team. And it, It starts with the players. Individually, he has them to begin to trust themselves. And once they start to trust themselves and trust that they have been kind of called to this place, and they all start to trust each other. No spoilers. I won't tell you how this season one ends. I'm in season two right now. But it's just a, there's no more lovely program on television right now. And I encourage you to to see this. There's lessons in each of the episodes. In fact, this this last episode uh, was the Christmas special which was kind of fun to see a Christmas special in August. But that's like streaming right now, streaming television. You have a Christmas special in August. Uh, And there's Higgins. Higgins, who is on uh, the the, the staff at the soccer team. Every year for Christmas, he would invite some of the guys uh, to his, his house for dinner because they were away from home and they're from all over. They're from Europe and beyond, all over the place. So Higgins opens his home for Christmas. He normally has like two or three of the players join him. But it started with two players, and then it was something like six players, and then it was something like 12 players, and they just kept coming uh, to Higgins' house. And they had this big celebration. They're all breaking bread with one another. And this is beautiful, this beautiful moment of this team beginning to believe in one another. And what leads them, this belief in one another, leads them to break bread with one another. All at Higgins' home. It's amazing how building faith and building trust with one another another, leads us not in agreement, not in consensus, but it leads us into breaking bread with one another. Now, in Scripture, this isn't always the case, right? We have examples in all Scripture is inspired by God. Well, we have the story of Jacob and Laban at the end of Genesis. And this is a story of kind of like a sermon can be used as For teaching and reproof as an example of how not to preach. Well, this is an example of how not to be in relationship with someone. Jacob is a trickster. Jacob is a swindler. He tricked his brother out of a birthright and a blessing. And Jacob uh, falls in love with Rachel. And Rachel is Laban's daughter. So he works seven years in order to marry Rachel. And he wakes up on his wedding day the next morning and behold, it was Leah. They, Laban had switched out Rachel and Leah, and he was actually with Leah on his wedding night. So, oh, well, now he's married to Leah. So he works another seven years in order to be Rachel's husband. After several years, Jacob, after having 12, uh, if you know J- Jacob and uh, Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you know that. Jacob had 12 sons uh, and and once he had these sons, he decided he wanted to move and leave uh, Laban's household and he does and he takes a couple of things with him and so does Rachel and Laban then pursues him. Laban just doesn't let him leave. Well, they finally meet and they cut a deal with each other. They cut a covenant with each other and the covenant is you go that way, and I'll go that way. And they, they, they erect a set of pillars and goes, here's the pillars. You go do you, and I'll go do me. And, and, and there's a beautiful verse. Actually, it's my uh, paternal grandmother's favorite verse in scripture. Uh, it's Genesis thirty one forty nine. May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. And it sounds like this beautiful verse Verse of devotion and God being at the center. No, it's because I don't trust this schmo, and I need you, Lord, to look after him when I'm not there so that he doesn't cross this boundary, right? You go do you, and I'll go do me. Fair and square. But that's not how Genesis ends. Next, we hear the story of Joseph. Joseph with the multicolored coat or the coat with long sleeves, depending on which translation you're reading and what footnotes are in your study Bible. Joseph is this beloved son of, of Jacob, and of course his brothers hate him, right? Sells him into slavery in Egypt, and uh, he's thrown in jail, and he's kind of hitting rock bottom. But eventually, eventually, Joseph becomes second in command in all of Egypt. He is there, seated right by Pharaoh, and he's kind of in charge of uh, he's the chief financial officer of Egypt, so to speak, eventually. But what happens is there's a famine, and Joseph's brothers come into Egypt. And Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. So Joseph is, oh, this will be fun. Uh, so they come, and, and they're bowing before him and, and this kind of a thing, and there are some shenanigans. But eventually, eventually, After Jacob dies, Jacob, this trickster, this swindler, this heel grabber, after he dies, the brothers come back to Joseph. Joseph reveals who he is. And initially, the brothers are nervous and they're afraid. This is what it says. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us? And pays us back in full for all of the wrong that we did to him. So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Now, if you flip back in Genesis, you will quickly realize that Jacob never said that. Here it is. Here's Joseph's brothers trying to pull another fast Your father's dying words, Joseph, was for you to not hold a grudge against us and to forgive us. But then then Joseph says to them, "I I know you intended to do me harm. But God is using it for good. Regardless if Joseph's brothers are telling the truth or not, Joseph chooses to forgive them anyway and to reconcile the relationship anyway. In other words, unlike his father, there's a bit of a cycle that is broken here. Unlike his father who said, okay, Laban, you go over there and I'll go over here. We just won't bother each other. Joseph welcomes his brothers in. He saves them. In essence, this is what says at the end of it, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. And he spoke kindly to them. Have no fear. I will provide for you. Joseph, much like uh Uh, Higgins in in Ted Lasso, he's making room for them. They didn't earn it. They certainly didn't deserve it. But Joseph said, look, I'm in the business of doing good. Our scripture lesson points us to this. Everything in all scripture is inspired by God so that we are equipped for every good work. Not so that we're super smart. Not so that we memorize all of scripture. Not so that we can be super devout. Scripture is inspired by God so that we are equipped For every good work. So that when we are in a moment of reconciliation, we can be like, I know you intended to do harm. God is going to use it for good. You are welcome here. The door is open. The table is set. You are welcome here. This same kind of language is echoed with Jesus in John chapter 14, or as I like to say, Jesus' words echo back into Joseph. But that's for another time and another place to explain that trajectory. Suffice it to say, Jesus, when he is with his disciples at the end, it's called his farewell discourse. John chapter 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Or the same as Joseph says, do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places you are welcome at the table Joseph saying saying to his brothers who treated him very poorly understatement of the millennium you are welcome here do not be afraid in my father's house there are many dwelling places if it were not so would I've told you did I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am there you may also be As a community of faith, we are to, in addition to be stewards of hope, as we talked about last week, we are to be builders of faith, builders of trust, trusting in God. Joseph had no guarantees that his brothers wouldn't turn their, <laughs> stab him in the back. Trusting in God, that God is going to use this for good. But also trusting in each other learning how to grow in trust of one another, making room for others. And that's the beauty of, like, there are several tables uh, outside of the Narthex. One of them is communion. If you want to help with communion, if you want to help serve communion, communion is at the heart of what we do. We're going to spend in September, a lot of uh, what we're doing in September focuses and centers around the mystery and the beauty of what happens around the Lord's table. Communion is one of those places where we learn how to break bread with one another. And it's not about consensus. It's not about agreeing. In fact, I love saying that at the communion table with Jesus was both Matthew, the tax collector who was working for the government and Simon, the zealot who was trying to overthrow the government. Both of those guys were at the same table and it wasn't their politics that got them there. It was Jesus. When we come to the altar of the Lord, when we learn how to break bread with one another, we move from this place of Jacob and Laban, you go do you, I'll go do me, to this place of Joseph. I know you did me harm, but God is going to use it for good, and I, I trust in God, and I will learn how to trust in you. In terms of coming to the table, finding that level place, in Luke chapter 6, this is, I love this. In, in Matthew, uh, it's, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. In the Gospel of Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And it's because Jesus met them in a level place. This is what it says. Jesus came down and stood with them on a level place and a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their disease. Okay, so first, here's biblical code language. Let's translate this a little bit. He came down and stood with them on a level place. His disciples were there, so those who were following him, those who were believing, those who had signed up all the tables to do all the things on this Building Faith Sunday, right? They signed up for communion. They signed up to to join the fellowship class, all these things. His disciples were there, but also there were folks from Judea who were there, which in biblical terms, is the country folk. And there were people from Jerusalem there, which is biblical code word for the city folk. And who was also there are folks from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, which are Gentile towns. In other words, biblically, in terms of the New Testament and the gospel, you can't get a more diverse group of people. You got the city folk, you got the country folk, And you got all the Gentiles. All of them are there with Jesus. And what does Jesus do? How does Jesus treat them? It says that he stood with them on a level place. And he healed all of their diseases. And power came from him. In other words, the first thing that Jesus did to this diverse group is to meet their needs. He healed them. Because friends, if we're not in a place of wholeness, we're not in a place of healness. sometimes we can't even read this God-inspired scripture well. He healed them first. And then he revealed the beauty of the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those when you are persecuted. Blessed are you, great is your reward in heaven. So he meets their need, and then he reveals the beauty of the kingdom of God. And then finally, he gets very specific of what the kingdom of God is. When we're talking about trust, when we're talking about building trust as a community of faith, we have to get very specific of what we are asking. For example, and maybe you've seen this on YouTube, because uh, if you've ever been part of a youth group, you've done this at some point. The trust fall, you know what this is, right? You close your eyes, you cross your arms, and then the youth pastor says, okay, fall into my arms. If you don't tell them which direction to fall, <laughs> someone might get very hurt, right? And it's, I, one of my guilty pleasures is seeing people, like, seeing like America's Funniest film Videos and seeing people, like, trip downstairs or, or fall. It's just, to me, it's just funny. Seeing people fall down, it's, it's funny. Uh, and God smited me with that when I tore my calf, like, three months ago. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm reaping the whirlwind, as Hosea 8 7 says. I understand that. It's still funny. So, you can see this on YouTube where, where you close your eyes and you call, all right, fall, and everyone's standing behind her, you know, fall into her, and she goes, and she falls the other way. And It's just, when you're talking about trust in a community, you have to be very, very specific, or people can get hurt. This is where Jesus goes. After he meets them on a level place and he heals everyone, whether they're from the coast of Tyre or Sidon or if they're one of the folks who tithe and sign up for all the small groups or maybe they're just tangential and they come from Christmas and Easter, Jesus heals all of them. And then he talks about how beautiful the kingdom of God is and then he gives some ethical teachings like love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. And then he talks about The student is not better than the teacher, but you know that you are a teacher. You know that you are a disciple. You know that you are following well when you recognize that you have a plank in your eye and you need to remove that plank in order to take the speck of dust out of your neighbor's eye. It's beautiful. It's humbling for Jesus to say, in this kingdom, you start here. Get the plank out of your own eye. And then you can see clearly to help your neighbor. And I fear that a lot of us, uh, like Jacob and Laban, are walking around with big planks and we're knocking into each other and tearing each other down. And get the plank out of your eye first. And then, and then, you can see the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye. Equipped for every good work. Every good work. Not every work. Every good work. Work And sometimes that good work starts with recognizing that I have a plank in my eye that I need to get rid of. Trusting, building trust, also makes us vulnerable. You can't trust without making yourself vulnerable, without closing your eyes, crossing your arms, and trusting that someone's going to be there to catch you. Sam Wells, who is uh, rector at St. Martin in the Fields, uh, <laughs> uh, he's, on, he's on TikTok, which is just kind of hilarious to me that he's an Anglican priest in the center of downtown London and he's also on TikTok. Uh, but, the, but his show on TikTok is, it's called Ask the Vicar, where in worship service every week, and I have not been brave enough to try this, he asks if anyone has a question. And this is all live streamed, like on the internet, it's like, it's called Ask the Vicar, where who has a question? And he answers it in real time. Well, one Sunday someone asked him, What is God's greatest weakness? Hmm. What is God's greatest weakness? This is why I love Sam Wells, like without skipping a beat. He goes, God's greatest weakness is loving us. God's greatest weakness is loving us. It worked out well for us. It worked out very poorly for Jesus, God in the flesh. But then he said, which is very Ted Lasso, (laughs) he said, you know, and we are supposed to follow suit, right? We are supposed to be vulnerable. We are supposed to be people of trust. He said, because your weakness might be someone else's salvation. What he meant by that is, is your vulnerability, your honesty of your walk, honesty of who you are, your weakness just might be someone else's salvation. That's beautiful for us to be honest. That's the thing with Ted Lasso. In this Christmas episode where people were coming in, it started with two people and it started with, then it was 10 and it was like 15 or whatever. There's a small detail as they were breaking bread with one another, very small detail. There was someone who came with an ethnic dish from their homeland, from their home country, which is normally made with goat, but they didn't, they made it with chicken instead so that everyone, it was palatable for everyone and this kind of thing. But then later in the episode, someone else brings the exact same dish, but this time it is made with goat, exactly as it is to be made in their home. So what happens in the course of, it's such a small detail and it's beautiful. What happens is they are growing in authenticity with each other. Where they make the dish, they don't switch it out with chicken anymore. They make it just like it is. It is who they are and who they are created to be. And there 's a moment of vulnerability. I made it with goat, and I oh gosh, I hope people god 's greatest weakness is that God loves us, and it works out great for us and works out poorly for God because god 's heart breaks with ours. God walks with us, God calls us to love one another now. I'll end with this. Um, you and I both know that not every relationship can be mended. Especially with trust, there comes vulnerability, and sometimes when trust is broken, there is a scar that is left. And sometimes all we can muster is the Jacob and Laban approach. That's also why it's in the Bible. Sometimes the best we can do with someone who has broken trust is to say, You go that way. I'll go this way and may God watch over us when we are not together. Trust is very hard to rebuild. And therefore, sometimes we need to be Jacob (laughs) and Laban. You go that way. I'll go that way. Though our prayer, especially when one or the other party has a big plank coming out of their eye and if you get too close, what happens? People get hurt because you start smacking and, Not until both of those planks are removed can we move on to a Joseph kind of reconciliation. But our prayer is to grow in authenticity. Our prayer is to meet all people on a level place as Christ did. But also to reveal the beauty of the kingdom of God and to get very specific of what this kingdom is and how we are called to build faith with one another. All of scripture is inspired by God and the goal of that scripture is to equip us for every good work. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you who became vulnerable in the person of Jesus, who walked with us, who suffered for us, who calls us to also suffer for one another so that we might all know what love is. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us as we gather here today. Fill us with hope. Give us the courage to have faith, to build trust with you and with one another so that we might be equipped for every good work that you are calling us to offer to the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.